Chapter Eight of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter Eight: The Oak. In the morning, as she narrated the events of the evening, she told her aunt of the acquaintance she had made and that he had seen her home. This information did not please the old lady, as, indeed, without knowing any reason, Letty had expected. Mrs. Warder knew all about Tom's mother, or thought she did, and knew little good. She knew also that, although her son was a general favorite, her own son had a very poor opinion of him. On these grounds, and without a thought of injustice to Letty, she sharply rebuked the poor girl for allowing such a fellow to pay her any attention, and declared that, if ever she permitted him so much as to speak to her again, she would do something which she left in a cloud of vaguest suggestion. Letty made no reply. She was hurt. Nor was it any wonder if she judged this judgment of Tom by the injustice of the judge to herself. It was of no consequence to her, she said to herself, whether she spoke to him again or not. But had any one the right to compel another to behave rudely? Only what did it matter, since there was so little chance of ever seeing him again? All day she felt weary and disappointed, and, after the merry-making of the night before, the household work was irksome. But she would soon have got over both weariness and tedium had her aunt been kind. It is true she did not again refer to Tom, taking it for granted that he was done with. But all day she kept driving Letty from one thing to another, nor was once satisfied with anything she did, called her even an ungrateful girl, and before evening had rendered her more tired, mortified, and dispirited than she had ever been in her life. But the tormentor was no demon. She was only doing what all of us have often done, and ought to be heartily ashamed of. She was only emptying her fountain of bitter water. Oppressed with the dregs of her headache, wretched because of her son's absence, who had not been a night from home for years, annoyed that she had spent time and money in preparation for nothing, she had allowed the said cistern to fill to overflowing, and upon Letty it overflowed like a small deluge. Like some of the rest of us, she never reflected how balefully her evil mood might operate, and that all things work for good in the end will not cover those by whom come the offences. Another night's rest, it is true, sent the evil mood to sleep again for a time, but did not exercise it. For there are demons that go not out without prayer, and a bad temper is one of them, a demon as contemptible, mean-spirited, and unjust as any in the peerage of hell, much petted nevertheless and excused by us poor lunatics who are possessed by him. Mrs. Warder was a lady, as the ladies of this world go, but a poor lady for the kingdom of heaven. I should wonder much if she ranked as more than a very common woman there. The next day all was quiet, and a visit paid Mrs. Warder by a favorite sister whom she had not seen for months, set Letty at such liberty as she seldom had. In the afternoon she took the book Godfrey had given her, in which he had set her one of Milton's smaller poems to study, and sought the shadow of the Durnmelling oak. 
It was a lovely autumn day, the sun glorious as ever in the memory of Abraham, or the author of Job, or the builder of the scaled pyramid at Saqqara. But there was a keenness in the air notwithstanding, which made Letty feel a little sad, without knowing why, as she seated herself to the task cousin Godfrey had set her. She, as well as his mother, heartily wished he were home. She was afraid of him, it is true, but in how different a way from that in which she was afraid of his mother. His absence did not make her feel free, and to escape from his mother was sometimes the whole desire of her day. She was trying hard, not altogether successfully, to fix her attention on her task, when a yellow leaf dropped on the very line she was poring over. Thinking how soon the trees would be bare once more, she brushed the leaf away and resumed her lesson. To fill thy odorous lamp with deeds of light, she had just read once more, when down fell a second tree-leaf on the book-leaf. Again she brushed it away, and read to the end of the sonnet. Hast gained thy entrance, virgin wise and pure. What Letty's thoughts about the sonnet were, I cannot tell. How fix thought indefinite in words defined! But her angel might well have thought what a weary road she had to walk before she gained that entrance. But for all of us this road has to be walked, every step, and the uttermost farthing paid. The gate will open wide to welcome us, but it will not come to meet us. Neither is it any use to turn aside, it only makes the road longer and harder. Down on the same spot fell the third leaf. Letty looked up. There was a man in the tree over her head. She started to her feet. At the same moment he dropped on the ground beside her, lifting his hat as coolly as if he had met her on the road. Her heart seemed to stand still with fright. She stood silent, with white lips parted. "'I hope I haven't frightened you,' said Tom. "'Do forgive me,' he added, becoming more aware of the perturbation he had caused her. "'You were so kind to me the other night. I could not help wanting to see you again.' I had no idea the sight of me would terrify you so. "'You gave me such a start!' gasped Letty, with her hand pressed on her heart. "'I was afraid of it,' answered Tom. "'But what could I do? I was certain if you saw me coming you would run away.' "'Why would you think that?' asked Letty, a faint color rising on her cheek. "'Because,' answered Tom, I was sure they would be telling you all manner of things against me. But there is no harm in me, really, Miss Lovell, nothing, that is, worth mentioning. I'm sure there isn't, said Letty, and then there was a pause. What book are you reading, may I ask? said Tom. Letty had now remembered her aunt's injunctions and threats, but, partly from a kind of paralysis caused by his coolness, partly from its being impossible to her nature to be curt with any one with whom she was not angry, partly from mere lack of presence of mind, not knowing what to do, yet feeling she ought to run to the house, what should she do but drop down again on the very spot whence she had been scared? Instantly Tom threw himself on the grass at her feet, and there lay, looking up at her with eyes of humble admiration." Confused and troubled, she began to turn over the leaves of her book. She supposed afterward she must have asked him why he stared at her so, for the next thing she remembered was hearing him say, 
I can't help it. You are so lovely. Please don't talk such nonsense to me, she rejoined. I am not lovely, and I know it. What is not true cannot please anybody. She spoke a little angrily now. I speak the truth, said Tom, quietly and earnestly. Why should you think I do not? Because nobody ever said so before. Then it is quite time somebody should say so, returned Tom, changing his tone. It may be a painful fact, but even ladies ought to be told the truth and learn to bear it. To say you are not lovely would be a downright lie. I wish you wouldn't talk to me about myself, said Letty, feeling confused and improper, but not altogether displeased that it was possible for such a mistake to be made. I don't want to hear about myself. It makes me so uncomfortable. I'm sure it isn't right. Is it now, Mr. Helmer? As she ended, the tears rose in her eyes, partly from unanalyzed uneasiness at the position in which she found herself and the turn the talk had taken, partly from the discomfort of conscious disobedience, but still she did not move. "'I am very sorry if I have vexed you,' said Tom, seeing her evident trouble. "'I can't think how I've done it. I know I didn't mean to, and I promise you not to say a word of the kind again, if I can help it. But tell me, Letty,' he went on again, changing in tone and look and manner, and calling her by her name with such simplicity that she never even noticed it, "'do tell me what you are reading, and that will keep me from talking about you,' not from the other thing you know there said letty almost crossly handing him her book and pointing to the sonnet as she rose to go tom took the book and sprang to his feet he had never read the poem for milton had not been one of his masters he stood devouring it he was doing his best to lay hold of it quickly for there letty stood with her hand held out to take the book again ready upon its restoration to go at once silent and motionless to all appearance unhasting he read and re-read letty was restless and growing quite impatient but still tom read a smile slow spreading from his eyes over his face he was taking possession of the poem he would have said but the shades and kinds and degrees of possession are innumerable, and not until we downright love a thing can we know we understand it, or rightly call it our own. Tom only admired this one. It was all he was capable of in regard to such at present. Had the whim for acquainting himself with it seized him in his own study, he would have satisfied it with a far more superficial interview." but the presence of the girl, with those eyes fixed on him as he read, his mind's eye saw them, was for the moment an enlargement of his being, whose phase to himself was a consciousness of ignorance. "'It is a beautiful poem,' he said at last, quite honestly, and, raising his eyes, he looked straight in hers. "'There is hardly a limit to the knowledge and sympathy a man may have in respect of the finest things,' and yet be a fool. Sympathy is not harmony. A man may be a poet even, and speak with the tongue of an angel, and yet be a very bad fool. I am sure it must be a beautiful poem, said Letty, but I have hardly got a hold of it yet. And she stretched her hand a little farther, as if to proceed with its appropriation. But Tom was not yet prepared to part with the book. 
he proceeded instead in fluent speech and not inappropriate language to set forth not the power of the poem that he both took and left as a matter of course but the beauty of those phrases and the turns of those expressions which particularly pleased him nor failing to remark that according to the strict laws of english verse there was in it one bad rhyme that point letty begged him to explain thus leading tom to an exposition of the laws of rhyme in which as far as english was concerned he happened to be something of an expert partly from an early habit of scribbling in ladies albums about these surface affairs godfrey understanding them better and valuing them more than tom had yet taught letty nothing judging it premature to teach polishing before carving and hence this little display of knowledge on the part of tom impressed letty more than was adequate so much indeed that she began to regard him as a sage and a compeer of her cousin godfrey question followed question and answer followed answer letty feeling all the time she must go yet standing and standing like one in a dream who thinks he cannot and certainly does not break its spell for in the act only is the ability and the deed born besides was she to go away and leave her beautiful book in his hand what would godfrey think if she did again and again she stretched out her own to take it but although he saw the motion he held on to the book as to his best anchor hurriedly turned its leaves by fits and searching for something more to his mind than anything of milton's suddenly his face brightened ah he said and remained a moment silent reading i don't wonder he resumed at your admiration of milton he's very grand of course and very musical too but one can't be listening to an organ always not that i prefer merry music that must be inferior for the tone of all the beauty in the world is sad much tom helmer knew of beauty or sadness either but ignorance is no reason with a fool for holding his tongue but there is the violin now that can be as sad as any organ without being so ponderous hear this now this is the violin after the organ played as only a master can with this preamble he read a song of shelley's and read it well for he had a good ear for rhythm and cadence and prided himself on his reading of poetry now the path to letty's heart through her intellect was neither open nor well trodden but the song in question was a winged one and flew straight thither there was something in the tone of it that suited the pitch of her spirit chamber and if letty's heart was not easily found it was the readier to confess itself when found her eyes filled with tears and through these tears tom looked large and uninjured he must be a poet himself to read poetry like that she said to herself and felt thoroughly assured that her aunt had wronged him greatly some people scorn poetry like sin she said again i used myself to think it was only for children until cousin godfrey taught me differently as thus her thoughts went on interweaving themselves with the music all at once the song came to an end tom closed the book handed it to her said good morning miss lovell and ran down the rent in the ha-ha and before letty could come to herself she heard the soft thunder of hoofs on the grass 
she ran to the edge and looking over saw tom on his bay mare at full gallop across the field she watched him as he neared the hedge and ditch that bounded it saw him go flying over and lost sight of him behind a hazel copse slowly then she turned and slowly she went back to the house and up to her room vaguely aware that a wind had begun to blow in her atmosphere although only the sound of it had yet reached her end of chapter eight the oak